You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. I'd like to begin this evening by introducing you to a man by the name of Yigal Yudin. And he was born in 1917, in the year that Allenby entered Jerusalem. And he was born in that city of Jerusalem. And also in the year where the Balfour Declaration went out, the British government believed in the Jews returning to their ancient homeland. And he was born to a Jewish family that had moved to the land of Israel from Eastern Europe because they were committed Zionists, because they believed in this hope of a Jewish state being in that land once more. And living at that time, him and his family witnessed firsthand the regathering of the Jews to the land of Israel. And in 1948, they witnessed the reestablishment of the state of Israel in that land. And he, Yigal Yedin, and his brother both fought in that war of independence. His brother actually died in that war. And in 1949, he was actually made the supreme commander, the head of the armed forces of the state of Israel. But Yigal Yedin had no passion in the military. In fact, his passion was in archaeology and, in particular, um, ancient scrolls. And so he quit his post, which was a higher post, um, in the Israeli military and went to the Hebrew University. And he studied there the Dead Sea Scrolls. He pored over those ancient texts that were found in, in Qumran, which were an ancient copy of the Hebrew Bible. And eventually, he gained a doctorate. But in the early 1960s, he was approached again by the Israeli government, who had a new mission for him. Now, this mission was nothing like the kind of missions he received when he was there in the military. In fact, he had been given the mission to excavate the ancient fortress of Masada. Now, Masada is an ancient fortress built by Herod. um, And after the AD 70 destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, a, a small group of passionate zealots, the most extreme zealots, left Jerusalem and they fled and, and stayed on Masada, where they stayed for another three years um, against the Romans. And it was only after those three years that the Romans finally took that mountain of Masada and could finally declare the rebellion of the Jews over. And when the Jews realized that their case was lost, Um, They committed suicide on that mountaintop, and it became a symbol of Jewish resistance against the Romans, the last stand of the Jews before their nation was destroyed at that time. And as Yigal Yudin prepared for that excavation, he thought through the different things he might find in such a place. And you can imagine most uh, most people in his position would have great hopes for treasures, for valuable possessions being found significant um, treasures. But what his dream was, was to find scrolls, and in particular, to find scrolls of the Hebrew Bible. And he wrote, before starting the excavations at the rock of Masada on the western shore of the Dead Sea, we dreamed of the possibilities of finding scrolls there. I say dreamed because the hope that we would could not be very bright. And Masada is not far from Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And so we had this dream that they might find scrolls as they excavated at Masada. 
But within a few weeks, just about two weeks, of beginning the excavations at Masada, his dream was to become true. Because he was there excavating in some of the northern um, storehouses, and this young volunteer came running up to him from across the mountain. And in their hand was this small section of scroll. Damaged, but a section of scroll. And Yigal Yadin took that small section of scroll from that volunteer. And on the top of Masada, in location, he unraveled it. And being a native Hebrew speaker himself, he could read those words again that were in that scroll. And it was a section of the Bible. It was a section from the Psalms, last read by those Hebrew zealots on the top of Masada. Now, it wasn't a section of scripture that we had lost. We had other copies of it. But he was there, reading from that particular scroll, which hadn't been read from since the Jews were there at the top of Masada with their nation about to be destroyed by the Romans. And in that section of scroll, there is a small, and there's, there's one of the verses within it, was the verse which says, They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. And you can imagine the meaning these verses would have had to those zealots as their nation was cut off. And of course, Yigal Yadin had witnessed um, in his lifetime attempts made again to cut off Israel from being a remembrance in the Holocaust. And then, of course, when the state was first declared in 1948. But they were God's chosen people, and so they could never be cut off forever. But as they continued their excavations of Masada, they found a small collection of sections of the word of God, sections of scripture that were left over from the zealots that were there in that place in AD 73. And most of them were in much poorer condition than the Dead Sea Scrolls, and most of them were just a fragment, so a chapter or half a chapter. But the only section that they had that had complete chapters in it was from the scroll of Ezekiel, um, which we read from for our introductory reading. And it was a section of Ezekiel from chapter 35 through to Ezekiel 38. And of course, we had Ezekiel 38 read for us this evening. And you can imagine Yigal Yadin, who witnessed the regathering of Israel, reading some of these passages, pouring over them late at night after the excavations um, were stopped for the day. Because these scriptures are truly incredible scriptures. Scriptures that detail why Israel was scattered in the first place. Why his parents had been born in Eastern Europe rather than in Jerusalem as he had. Because we read, and I scattered them among the heathen. And they were dispersed through the countries according to their way. And according to their doings, I judged them. But as well as the, the reason they were scattered. Also, the promise and the hope that they would be regathered. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Something that Yigal Yadin had witnessed with his own eyes happening in the land of promise. For thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. But when Yigal Yadin came to some of the verses in Ezekiel 38, I think he may have ended up scratching his head because some of these verses were still not fulfilled at his time. 
because we, re we read in Ezekiel 38 of a, of a group of nations coming against the land of Israel. And it describes the situation in the land of Israel at that time. Ezekiel 38, verse 8. Thou, and that's this, the nations coming against Israel shall come into the land that is brought back from the sword. Something he could see in his day and gathered out of many people. Something again that was there before his very eyes against the mountains of Israel. Now, the mountains of Israel are an area in the land of Israel known as the West Bank today. When Yigal Yadin was excavating Masada, it was controlled by a different country, by the Jordanians. So that was not fulfilled at that time. They were not able to go to the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste, but is brought back, brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. And again, Yigal Yadin, at that time, when he looked out at the state of Israel, he did not see a nation in peace. Within a few years, they would be fighting for their life again in the 1967 war. And again, it would all be repeated just a few years later. In Ezekiel 38, verse 10, And thou, again, this is the nation coming against Israel, shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. Israel will be referred to as the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. And again in verse 14, thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it. It will be something that is very clear. And as Yigal Yadin read those scrolls which he had found, which were not new scrolls, were not, it wasn't that we had lost those chapters, we had them um, in many other scrolls. But as Yigal Yadin read those scrolls again, he would have seen a partly fulfilled prophecy. The Jews returned to their land, but not on the mountains of Israel, and not living in peace. And he mentioned that they would be on the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste, but they should be brought forth out of the nations, when they dwell safely. And so, um, in 1967, a number of years later, just a, about three or four years later, after these excavations, the West Bank was taken back by Israel in the 1967 war. And ever since, the Jews have continued to grow their presence on, that, on those mountains. But still, we do, do we see a land that is, that is in peace? Well, when we go to that land today, we see walls. That's the security barrier that cuts through Jerusalem, that cuts through the land of promise. And we see bars and we see gates. That there is a bomb shelter that's on the Daganya B kibbutz. I remember when I first saw that, um, I assumed it was a relic of the past. It was used the very next year. It's kept there ready, prepared for a war with Lebanon that could happen at any time. That there is a school in the Israeli city of Starot, which is just by um, the Gaza Strip. It's a terrible photo, I know. I couldn't find a better one. But that there is a bomb shelter built over an existing school because each, each day, almost without fail, their lessons would be disrupted as all the kids had to run down into the bomb shelter. So eventually, they just built a bomb shelter over the top of it. Um, more recently, um, we've had the fact that Israel is not yet in peace reminded uh, and reminded for us um, the riots that happened um, in 2021. Um, some of the cities that are normally 
thought of as some of the safest cities in Israel, cities where Jews and Arabs have lived alongside, as um, in contrast to many of the other places in the land. Um, riots breaking out in those places. And then, of course, the rocket attacks that would come on Israel. Um, this is some of the rockets that came down um, on central Israel just a couple of years ago. And you can see the Iron Dome knocking down a number of them. Israeli society brought to a halt for a number of days until the situation improved. That's looking over Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, considered by Israelis the safest place to live, the place in Israel you live if you don't want to worry about security. And you see a number of the rockets being um, taken out by the Iron Dome, but of course some get through. And this is a picture of when one got through and hit a bus in Cholon um, with a number of people um, losing their lives. And so when we see the situation in the land of Israel today, I suggest we can be confident that we do not see a land that is yet in peace. But when we look at the word of God and we see the prophecies that have already been fulfilled, the prophecies of the Jews returning to their land, the prophecies of the Jews being again on the mountains of Israel, all fulfilled, we can be confident that the time will come when the walls that are in that land today will fall. And so when that nation comes against the land of Israel, it will go up against the land known as the land of unwalled villages. It will be going against them who are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them, not just some of them, not just the lucky ones that live um, in the secure areas, but all of them dwelling without bars, walls, and gates. Not the situation we see today, but a situation that will surely come to pass. And so the question then is, are the Abraham Accords this peace and safety that we have been looking for? Well, clearly we do not have peace in the land today, and the Abraham Accords are a couple of years old now. But what I think we see is a remarkable shift in the Middle East, a shift that could indeed lead to the peace. Um, and we will have to watch it and see. But to understand how incredible the Abraham Accords are and what a shift this is in the Middle East, I think we have to look a bit first at the history of the Abraham, or the background to the Abraham Accords. And that, of course, is the history of the conflict. Well, Israel was established in 1948. Um, it was immediately invaded from all sides. And as you can see on that map, the small Akrim area, that is the small area that Israel controlled after two weeks of the conflict. It was very nearly destroyed. But by the end of the war, after a few months, and after some very bloody battles, um, they had retaken a, a large section of it, um, with the exception of Gaza, the West Bank, which was the Mount of Israel, um, and East Jerusalem. But then again in 1967, there was another war. And Israel then, at that time, took the West Bank, they took the Gaza Strip, they took the Golden Heights and the Sinai, which they later gave back. And so you end up with the borders that we see today, where Israel controls the mountains of Israel, the West Bank. But at that time, there was a true hope that the territory that Israel had captured would make a way for peace, that Israel could give back these territories to those Arab nations that surrounded it in exchange for peace. 
And that did happen with, uh, in the, um, eventually with um, Egypt, but many, many years later. But in the same year of 1967, when the Arab League met together in a place called Khartoum in Sudan, they discussed the outcome of the 1967 Six-Day War. And after the end of their, at the end of their discussions, they came to a conclusion which they all agreed to, all Arab nations of the Arab League, and it was known as the three no's, that there will be no peace with Israel, that there'll be no recognition of Israel, and no negotiations with Israel. And that was the standing point of the Arab world to Israel from that time, um, for many, many years um, after. And they stuck so hard to this line that in 1978, when Egypt started to have negotiations with Israel for the return of the Sinai, Egypt was suspended from the Arab League, even though Egypt at that time had the headquarters of the Arab League. They moved the headquarters and they expelled Egypt for negotiating with Israel, before they even made peace with Israel, just for negotiating with Israel. And this policy stood until only about 20 years ago, in 2002, when there was an Arab League conference in Beirut, where the Saudis proposed a peace plan that would offer peace to Israel from the 22 nations of the Arab League, um, but on a number of conditions. There was a condition of an of a, um, Israeli-Palestinian agreement um, for the refugees, and also that Israel would create a Palestinian state in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. And as Bible believers, when we see in Ezekiel 38 that Israel would be in peace and with the mountains of Israel and with these territories of the West Bank, we could see that this was not the way that peace would come to the land of Israel. And it was reaffirmed a number of times, most recently in 2017, um, and the idea was that it would give some energy back to the Oslo Accords and hopefully increase the chance of an agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. But um, this was not to be, and this has not happened, and the Arab-Israeli peace uh, process has been stalled, really, by these conditions that have been laid out since 2002. Because the Arab world, for any of them to make peace with Israel, they would have to demand these, these conditions, that there would be a Palestinian state, that there would be these agreements made. And so you can imagine the shock of the world when seemingly out of the blue, it was announced that Israel had made an agreement of peace with the United Arab Emirates. And then a number of weeks later, it was announced that Bahrain had also um, joined in with this new peace agreement named the Abraham Accords. And so, in the summer of 2020, um, in, in, in Washington, um, Israeli Prime Minister then, and more recently again now, um, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, met with um, ministers from Bahrain and also from the Arab Emirates, I'm not going to try and pronounce all of their names, where they signed this peace agreement between these nations. And crucially, None of the um, preconditions or the conditions that had been required and demanded in 2002 were met. There was no Palestinian state and there was no agreement with the Palestinians. This completely bypassed the Palestinians um, in this agreement.
And so how do we expect the Arab League might have responded to such a development? Would these two nations be expelled from the Arab League? Well, what in fact happened was there was a request made by the Palestinians that um, there would be a um, condemnation, a verbal condemnation of these two nations in the Arab League. No action against them, but just a verbal condemnation. And when they met, that condemnation was rejected. And so these two nations made peace with Israel by passing the agreement of 2002, and they didn't even condemn them for doing so. And this is thought to be the case because maybe Saudi Arabia um, gave them the green light to do so. And so these two nations joined Egypt and Jordan, who had already made peace with Israel, to be, the, um, to be these four nations that had made peace with the state of Israel. And just a few months later, the nation of Sudan decided to also join the Abraham Accords and make peace with Israel. And what an interesting place, because Sudan is, of course, the place where the Khartoum Conference had happened all those years before, in 1967. And this is an article from, the, um, from an Israeli uh, media outlet, which makes the pun yes, 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 instead of the three no's from the Arab League of 1967. And it says here why peace with Khartoum would be a true paradigm shift for Israel. And that wasn't the end either, because after Sudan, then also Morocco joined the Abraham Accords. And so you had another Muslim country, another Arab country, making peace with Israel with no preconditions attached. And so what was it that happened? What has made such a shift in the Middle East that all these Arab nations have, for the first time ever, chosen to make peace with Israel when they seem to gain nothing from it? Jordanian, Jordan made peace with Israel during the Oslo Accords, um, and Egypt made peace with Israel um, for the return of the Sinai. But these four nations made peace with Israel um, with no noticeable positive benefit for themselves. Well, I think the answer comes to the east of Israel, where you have these two nations, Iran and Saudi Arabia. And these two nations have um, become rivals to each other, um, mainly because of the division between Sunni and Shia Muslims, where we have Iran leading the Shia countries and Saudi Arabia leading the Sunni countries. And this has left a north-south split in the Middle East, with the Shia countries on the one side and the Sunni countries on the other side. And this has become so much more significant since Iran is developing nuclear weapons. But there's another nation in the Middle East that is concerned about the nuclear weapons of Iran. It's not just Saudi Arabia, and that is, of course, the nation Israel. And with good reason. This is just a tweet from, um, from the supreme um, leader of Iran. Um, he says, the Zionist regime is a deadly cancerous growth and a detriment to this region. It will undoubtedly be uprooted and destroyed. Then the shame will fall on those who put their facilities at the service of normalization of relations with this regime. And this comes just a few months before um, these, two, these, these Arab nations make peace with Israel. And of course, Israel, though, has nuclear weapons. 
And when we look at this map of the Middle East and we see this north-south divide, it is something that is, of course, of interest to us as Christadelphians when we consider the nations of Ezekiel 38 and the other prophecies of Armageddon. Because we read in Ezekiel 38 that Persia, Ethiopia and Libya would be with them. And so we see Iran, this leading nation of this split of nations. We read that Sheba and Dedan, on the other hand, would not be involved in that war against Israel because they would be among those who say, Art thou come to take a spoil, to take away silver and gold, to take away cattle and to take a great spoil? And so Sheba and Dedan, which, are, uh, which, are, which is the area of Saudi Arabia and the Gulf, these, these, these nations are not involved in this confederacy against the land of Israel. We also read that these will escape out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. So another, another set of nations, which is the area of Jordan that is not involved in this invasion of Israel. And as well, um, he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries in the land of Egypt shall not escape. And so we see many of those countries in the southern block of that split, that divide through the Middle East are the, nation, are the very nations that we know will not be coming against Israel. Well, many in the north, the ancient territory of the king of the north, will be those who come against Israel. And of course, the interesting question is, is will Saudi Arabia also join um, the Abraham Accords? And that is something that looks like it could happen within the next few years. There was an article um, a couple of years ago um, an exclusive that Israel was in talks to establish a four-nation defense alliance with Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Bahrain, coming together against Iran. And as it says in the article, the, report, the reported defense alliance talks likely come in response to the growing Iranian threat in the region, specifically regarding its building nuclear program, along with its expanding influence in the Middle East with countries like Syria and Iraq. And one of the comments in that article was just because, just the, the sheer fact that an article could exist without being laughed at shows how big the change in the Middle East is. And one of the big differences we've seen with the peace um, between the nations of the Abraham Accords is how it is not just a peace as in the absence of war, which is what the peace between Israel and Egypt and Israel and Jordan has been described as. It has instead been a flourishing economic partnership. We find that the, um, the trade with the United Emirates is expected to be about four billion a year, um, which to put in pers uh, perspective, that is about the same as Israel's current trade with this country, the UK. There have been business summits looking to an era of growth, peace and stability. This is something you would never have seen um, just a decade ago. And there was a huge flock of tourists to the UAE from Israel, even despite um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Another article showing that Israel and Saudi Arabia are reportedly being in talks over joint defense against Iran, something that the current US um, administration has been um, trying to um, facilitate. 
with Joe Biden going to visit Israel and Saudi Arabia and the summer just gone um, to help further warming the relations between these countries. Um, just last month, there was this interview um, of Benjamin Netanyahu when it was clear that he was about to become Prime Minister of Israel again by a Saudi Arabian media outlet, um, Al Arabiya News, I believe it's pronounced, and where there was a sit-down interview with the Israeli Prime Minister-to-be. And what he said in that interview, um, he said, I think coming to a solution with the Palestinians will require out-of-the-box thinking, will require a new thinking. The reason we got the historic Abraham Accords is that we got out of this mode that Mahmoud Abbas wants to stay in, and that which is the Palestinian leader. And that is to, um, is obviously a quote, from the, uh, uh, what he, you know, uh, I've written down exactly what he said, to mount the same lines, to go through the same rabbit holes, to seek new ways. Um, and he basically goes on to say that the peace process has been paralyzed by, the, by focusing on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict rather than looking to the, wi the wider Israeli-Arab conflict. And he goes on to say that instead of going to the Palestinians for peace, they should instead go and try and solve the wider Arab-Israeli conflict and then hope to see if you can get peace with the Palestinians um, at a later date. And obviously only time will tell, but this was one of the main points that he said. Um, it was one of the aims of his government as he became Prime Minister again um, just a few weeks ago. Just today, on, on I think this is um, the, the Jerusalem Post, and it's talking about the possibility of an Israeli-Saudi Arabian agreement. Saudi Arabia, of course, being such a leader of the Muslim world um, with the holy cities of the Muslims there in that country. It writes in that article, the main challenges were the consolidation of the perception of the Iranian threat toward the Gulf countries, a decrease of the Palestinian issue in the order of priorities among the countries of the region, and the feeling, whether accurate or more um, uh, I can't say it. <laughs> uh, an erosion of the degree of the American commitment to the stand um, with the allies in the region. And so the point is, they are the, the countries of Saudi Arabia, with the threat of, the, of nu a nuclear Iran, are suddenly focusing instead on the Palestinian issue, but instead on the issue of Iran. And so what a historic thing um, the, the um, Abraham of Accords are. But the question, of course, then is, what, are, what about the Palestinians in Bible prophecy? Well, today we see the Palestinians over two main areas, and that's the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And we saw in our reading that the West Bank, the mountains of Israel, an area that is full of Palestinians today, um, is an area that the Jews will inhabit at that time of the Gogian invasion. But what about the Gaza Strip? Well, I believe we see actually a distinction between these two areas. Because if we come to Joel chapter 3, we find that, the, that Gaza, or the coast of Palestine, are described separately. Joel 3 verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, 
I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So this is the same time period as Ezekiel 38. And they've cast lots for my people and have given a boy for harness and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Yea, what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coasts of Palestine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me, swiftly and speedily will I return your recompense upon your own head. And if we were to look at that last verse, verse 4, in other translations, the ESV, for example, says, What are ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the regions of Palestine? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head, swiftly, swiftly and speedily. And so we see here that at the time of this invasion, there will be a group of people in the land of the coast of Palestine that wish to pay God back for something, who have a grudge against the events that have happened to them. And so we see a different future for these two areas, the West Bank, which we can expect to continue to be settled, and then the Gaza Strip, which we should expect to, become, um, to continue to be controlled by the Palestinians. And so what do we see in these two areas today? Well, both areas were taken by Israel in 1967. They had the same status um, legally from 1967 all the way to 2005. And both areas were settled by Israeli settlements. And the Palestinian Authority then controlled these areas, or parts of them, um, from 1994. But then in 2005, Israel completely withdrew from Gaza and stopped all settlements within Gaza while they continued to settle upon the mountains of Israel. In 2007, a civil war broke out um, in the West Bank and Gaza and that led to the Gaza Strip being controlled by Hamas while the West Bank continued to be controlled by Fatah. And Israel has continued to settle on the West Bank. And so what we do see in these two areas is um, a dividing of, 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 um, of where they are going. The West Bank becoming more and more settled by Israel, while the Gaza Strip having the Jews pulled out from that area and no more settlements included there. Now, what happens now is, of course, what we watch. We know that peace will come to Israel. We know that peace will be upon the mountains of Israel, although it will be a false peace for the Gogian Confederacy will come against that land. Perhaps we see the beginning of this peace coming to us now. And we read in Thessalonians, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. And I believe there was a fulfillment of that with AD 70, but I, think, I believe too a fulfillment in the future, that when that false peace and safety does come to Israel, at that time, sudden destruction will come um, as, as prevail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And we know, of course, that we will be called a good way before this. We will be called to the Sinai, where we will be judged. 
and so surely that time cannot be far off. And so our hope and our prayer is for the time when the Lord Jesus will return, when there will be a true peace, not only in Israel, but in the whole world, when the Lord Jesus Christ shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen